the story of David and Goliath. If you want to uh, turn to that passage in your Bibles, it is 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll look at verses 26 through 48 uh, in our time together today. This was an incredible showdown uh, between the Philistines and Israel. One was on one mountain and one on the other. And Goliath was at least nine and a half feet tall, if not 11 feet. His, his coat alone weighed about 126 pounds. This is one mighty dude. And while this is a great kid's story, and, and it's in every uh, children's Bible collection that you, that you look at. I remember sitting in the doctor's office uh, as a kid at the pediatrician's office, and they had the, the Bible books laid out on the coffee tables there, on the lamp tables. And, and certainly this is one of the stories that, that's in there. But I want you to know that although we may have cartoonized it over time and, and, and it reads almost like fiction, this is a story that is absolutely true about a real man who really lived and did incredible things with God's power. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Goliath had come armed with impressive and very heavy weaponry and protective helmets and shields. The challenge was actually a great idea, if you think about it. Rather than have thousands of soldiers from each side go up and there be incredible bloodshed on both sides, uh, the idea was that each side pick one person to represent their entire side, and those two people go up and do battle, and whoever wins with the agreement that the other side, the losing side, would become the servants of the winning nation. Just let two men go up against each other, and Goliath comes forth representing the Philistines, and here he is, a, a giant of a man. He, he throws down the challenge to the Israelites, you go and you pick your biggest, baddest dude, and you have him come out against me, and I will fight him. For 40 days, the Israelites are shaking in their sandals as Goliath came out and gave his repetitive speech, his taunting isn't there anyone brave enough on your side who is man enough to come up and fight against me? You can imagine his speech as he, as he continued to throw out the challenge. And every day they would look amongst themselves, the Israelites, and they, well, I can't go. You should go. Well, I, I don't want to represent all of us. What if, I, what if he takes me down? Not only would I lose my life, which I am brave enough to lose my life, but I don't want to jeopardize our entire nation's freedom on my, my abilities to go up against this giant. And, and amongst themselves they would talk. And they would shudder, and they would run in fear to hide from this great giant. David had three, well, he had several older brothers, but his three eldest brothers were among those who were in this group of Israelite soldiers who were unwilling to go up against Goliath. And David had the challenge from his dad to go back and forth as a messenger to come and give his dad a report as to how things were going with his brother, how the war was going, and what his brother's involvement uh, were in that, as well as to take food uh, to, to his brothers. It wasn't like war wasn't like it is today, and if your family members were going to eat, you had to take food to them. And so this youngest son who was left home to tend the sheep, his father's sheep, would probably look forward to every day joining his oldest brothers to take this food to them, say, hey, how's it going? What's going on today? Get some news to take back to his dad and give them, give them their food. And verse 24 tells us that all the men of Israel fled from Goliath when they saw him. It's a sad image of fear 
but I don't blame them. Facing your giants and, in, and conquering them is all about where you place your focus. What are you looking at? What are you looking at when you go up against the biggest challenges in your life? Do you look at the challenge itself and, and, and then begin to fear and to shudder? Do you look at yourself? Do you look in the mirror? Do you look at your degrees on the wall? Do you, do you look at your imperfections and your limitations when you measure yourself up against the giant? Is that, is that where you try to draw courage? What you focus on will dictate whether you have courage or fear, and all of us face giants. I thought it's interesting, and as uh, Lincoln has gone through a time with his uh, driver's permit, and I've related some stories of, of when I um, was getting my driver's permit and, and some of the things that were kind of helpful to me. And, and if, well, I tell you what, when you're driving through construction, and if you're driving through the state of Indiana, you'll be driving through construction, it's imperative that you keep your focus on the car in front of you. And as long as they're driving safely and there's a good distance between you and them, you keep your focus on that car in front of you. Because if you look at that concrete barrier to your left, or if you look at the semis to your right that feel like they're only a foot, foot and a half outside the, the windows, it's, if you're staring at those, oh my goodness, I hope I don't hit that concrete barrier. Oh, I hope I don't. Or if you're looking at the vehicles, the semis on your right, and you're going, oh my goodness, I, they, are, they sure are close. and They're weaving back and forth. It's not too long before we kind of get sucked into their direction. And the giants overtake us. But if you watch that vehicle right in front of you, and in providing that they're, they're swerving when the road turns and they're avoiding danger, you'll be fine uh, as well. But you have to make a choice. Will you focus on the giant challenge in front of you that is bigger than you, or will you focus on God who is bigger than you and your obstacle put together? I heard about some good old boys from southern Indiana that were, uh, they were really upset because their sister's boyfriend had broken up with her and had said mean things about her. And they were talking amongst themselves and they said, no one talks about our sister like that and gets away with it. And they decided they was going to go and they are going to whoop him. His name was Clarence. They loaded in the back of their pickup truck and they headed out toward the bridge over the Ohio River. And as they got to the bridge and they were about to cross over into Kentucky, they turned around and they went back home. Their neighbor said, I thought you said you were going to go over there to Kentucky and you were going to whoop old Clarence. They said, well, we were. But we got to the bridge and there was a sign at the bridge that said, Clarence, 13 foot, 6 inches. <laughs> we got scared and came back home. <laughs> what are you focusing on? Well, in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to look at a few things that David focused on that helped him win. Number one, when you go up against a giant, make it your goal to honor God in the battle. That you will honor God no matter what. Verses 26 and 27 tell us that David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Our God is far more impressive than any obstacle that you may be facing right now. 
He is still on his throne. Now, that's hard to remember when you're in the midst of the storm. When you're going through the battle, when the giant is standing right in front of you, and in the reality of this story, if that giant is a nine and a half to 11 foot giant wearing all of this armor and with all of these, these incredible weapons, and he's right in front of you and he's taunting you, it's hard to remember God's still on his throne. God's still on his throne. But he is. It doesn't matter the amount of debt that you have staring you in the checkbook. It doesn't matter the, the brokenness of your extended family relationships. It doesn't matter the pile of work that's approaching deadlines. It doesn't matter how controlling the addiction that grips you is. It doesn't matter the legal challenges that threaten you. There is a God who is sovereign over all of it. And this, I will guarantee you today, he will be on his throne tomorrow when you wake up. Whether you wake up here on this side of heaven or you wake up on that side of heaven, God will still be on his throne. Psalm 46 verses 1 and 2 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we, shall, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the, into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear. Why? Because I'm focusing on God. Where is your focus this morning? What are you looking at? The question is, where is your focus? Because if you're focusing on the giant, you're going to lose. But if you're focusing on the God who creates and governs even the giants, no giant can do anything that God doesn't allow him. Or if it's a person or if it's a circumstance, God doesn't allow it to happen. David focused on God because he chose to consider two things. In those two verses I just read for you, he asked a question. What is it that the winner who takes down this giant is going to receive? And they repeated to him what had already been said about this. David focused on Saul's prize. He wanted to concern himself with, with the prize because he was focused on God. He says, hey, whenever God gives the victory to whoever goes up against this giant, he's going to get a prize. What is that prize? And they reminded him, the prize is going to be great wealth. Oh, it's awesome. And not only this, but wait, there's more. You also get, you get to marry one of King Saul's daughters. Basically, you'll be a part of the royal family, a royal son-in-law. But wait, there's more. <laughs> not only do you get great wealth, and not only do you get to marry one of King Saul's daughters, but you're also going to have your, your family be exempt from taxation. Oh my goodness, that is a wonderful prize. Everyone else is trembling in their sandals when, when the giant Goliath comes out and gives his taunt day after day after day for 40 days. And David, the young shepherd boy, just bringing his brother's lunches to them, asks the question, hey, tell me again, what prize does the winner get? Focus on the prize. And that prize is mammoth. What a great prize. We have a great prize awaiting us. Too. I mean, we really do. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we earn our salvation, but each one of us in a relatively short period of time is going to be standing before God someday. And it's going to be a great, great day. Listen to some of the words uh, of Paul and of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
And then later he said to his young preaching friend Timothy in his second letter to him, near the end of his own life, Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed or who have loved his appearance. And Jesus said regarding the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 21, that these will be the words spoken to the one who invests the talents that God has given him for the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, there's a great prize coming. And whatever suffering you're going through in this life, you know, we're told that there's no suffering in this present age that it's even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come for all eternity. Momentary, temporary trials. Not only was David asking questions about the prize, but he was also thinking and mindful of Goliath's guilt. David was shocked, dismayed, horrified. Not so much because of the giant Philistine, the nine and a half to 11 foot giant. He was shocked and dismayed over two things. One was the fear of his own nation. (laughs) You see, David's focus wasn't on Goliath. His focus was on the living God. And that's what he refers to, to God as, the living God. This uncircumcised Philistine is coming out and is bad-mouthing the living God. And he was patriotic to the core. The second thing that concerned him was how dare anyone insult the nation of Israel and by extension his nation's God, the living God. Does Goliath not know who he's messing with? Goliath is not messing with a young shepherd boy, the son of Jesse. Goliath is messing with the living God. And God and one man are a majority. (laughs) And God wasn't just on David's side. David was on God's side. And the battle belonged to the Lord. This wasn't David's battle. It wasn't even Israel's battle. This battle belonged to the Lord. And the Lord always wins. David is not impressed by the sword or the spear Or the size of the armor. And by the way, that uh, uh, it says he has a a javelin and um, and a spear. And as I understand it, that spear is is almost like those curved uh, uh, the curved swords that you see. They're really wide on one end, you know, like a machete kind of thing. What David was impressed with was the living God's ability to move mountains, to part seas, to cause food to fall from heaven, to stop the sun, to rain down fire from the heavens if he wanted. That's where David placed his attention. What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? The next thing that I see David teaching us is that we need to speak up. 1 Samuel 17 verses 28 through 32 says, Now Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? 
was, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before King Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Eliab, his eldest brother's criticism, was both demeaning and accusatory. You notice what he asked him first? He says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave our father's sheep? Those few little sheep that you're supposed to be tending. That little chore, that little job that you have to do. Aren't you just the, the little shepherd boy? Aren't you the youngest of our brothers? You're just a kid. Go back home is basically what he is saying to him. It is demeaning and devaluing of David to tear him down. Why? Because Eliab, no doubt, as the eldest brother, is feeling a bit of shame and insecurity over the fact that he is not the first one going, I'll go, send me. And the worst thing than feeling guilty and self, uh, self-esteem issues over that kind of fear is when your youngest brother comes along and says, I'll go, I'll do it. <laughs> In one of the translations, David says, can't I even ask a question? <laughs> Here he says, what, wasn't it just a word? He's just, asking, he's just showing some interest. He's just asking, what, can I not even talk, he says. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. And David speaks up because he is interested and he is outraged over this Goliath and the things that this uncircumcised Philistine is saying about their God. And I said it's also accusatory because Eliab doesn't know what's in David's heart. None of us knows what's in each other's hearts. And to be able to say, I know why you've come down here. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know what your true motivation is. It was really unfair. And Eliab was wrong about David's motives because we see that David is far more than an armchair quarterback <laughs> because he puts skin in the game real fast. Word gets back to King Saul about David and about the things that David is saying, and it's very intriguing to Saul. And Saul sends for him, and David goes. And David was right. His focus was where it should have been on the prize for being courageous and on the honor of his God and his nation. So be confident. 1 Samuel 17, 33 through 40 says this. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." Saul said to David, well, go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor, but he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of, of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not t- tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. 
not broken them in. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David's boldness to speak up didn't just reach his brother's ears. It reached the ears of King Saul. And all indications are that Saul did not recognize David as the young shepherd boy that had come to him earlier, if the chronology is correct, in in this book, and had played the harp for him so beautifully that it soothed away all of, of King Saul's anxieties. And one of my commentaries explained that probably enough time had gone by that David may have had a beard. And while he was still a youth, maybe a high school age or a college age or young adult, uh, David had changed enough, perhaps, that, that Saul didn't necessarily recognize him when he came. But he does acknowledge the fact that David is but a youth, and he is small, small among his brothers, small among all the other Israelite warriors, and he's definitely small against the giant Philistine. But David's testimony is convincing. When he shares with King Saul what he had experienced as just a shepherd boy, when he said, hey, look, when a lion came or a bear came and would take away one of my father's sheep, I would go after it and I would rescue that lamb out of the mouth of that lion or that bear. And if that lion or that bear got back up, I'd grab it by its beard and I would yank it down and, and I, would, I would kill it and I would rescue Rescue the sheep. David, in many ways, this testimony that he is giving to King Saul, it's like saying the, she- the sheep, the Israelites of the great shepherd, if I, could perfe- if I could protect these little sheep and lambs, the animals that are in my father, my earthly father Jesse's care, and I can protect these sheep that are in the care of our heavenly father. Because once again, There's more at stake here than just David's life. What's at stake is the entire nation of Israel becoming enslaved by the Philistines if he he loses. Here are a couple things he, he notes about God. He's been there for me in the past. Has God been there for you in the past? When you think about it and you look back over your life, you're going to think about all kinds of times in which you faced what seemed to be hopelessness, Giants that were too big for you. Giants that were going to win against you no matter what. But somehow or another, you're here today and God saw you through those battles, didn't he? I encourage you this afternoon or this evening, take out a a, a piece of paper and jot down, or on your laptop or your, your iPad or something, jot down three to five times in your life in which when you were in the midst of the storm, when you were facing the giant, you thought there's no way, there's no way I'm going to win this battle. But you prayed about it, and in one way or another, God was faithful. Maybe he answered your prayers in such a way that he gave you the desires of your heart. You prayed to get well, and you got well. You prayed to find a job, and you found a job. You prayed that your your child would be freed from addiction, and your child was freed from addiction. Or it could be that God simply walked through the battle with you as you faced those giants and he helped you to endure it and he made you stronger because of it and more experienced and more prepared and refined for his kingdom. It was a good kind of pain that stretched you and prepared you. Or it could be that he changed your perspective. But at any rate, your focus should be on him 
What has God done for you in the past? Country singer Brad Paisley has a song, If I Could Write a Letter to Me. Ever heard that song? And the idea is that as an adult, Brad Paisley wishes he could write a letter to his former self when he was just a young teen. Things he would tell himself that he now knows or he now sees in retrospect. Some of it's kind of fun stuff about make sure you have enough gas in the tank so you don't run out. But on second thought, that has a happy ending. Always make sure you stop at a certain intersection. Take the time to say hello to, to, to your aunt and, and greet her when, when, you, when you had that chance. But, but he has that benefit of being in the present and looking back and in retrospect, knowing how it turns out. And you have that benefit of knowing how it turned out in the past. And, and why that, I think, is so beneficial to do is because if God was there for you in the past, he will be there for you in the present and in the future. And it's amazing how our perspective changes. When you were five years old and something happened to your tricycle and you were so upset about it, and you maybe you worried and you fretted over that tricycle and you wanted it back in the worst way and it was everything to you. And what would you do now as an adult if someone were to answer that request and say, oh, here's your tricycle back? <laughs> You'd say, good, what am I going to do with this? Because your perspective is different. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. One final thing to consider is that once you've prayed about it, part of focusing on God instead of on the giant means you have to release control of the battle. Isn't that the hardest part? To let go and let God? Listen to how this wraps up. Verses 41 through 48 says, And the Philistine... Uh, moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he, he, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. There's some pretty amazing trash talk going on here, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, we're hearing it from both sides. And when you read that first part of it and you hear Goliath's little speech to David, you think, oh man, I can't imagine, you know, standing there and listening listening to this speech. But when you hear David's speech, he's speaking with the authority of, of the God of Israel. You know who's going to win. Goliath got one thing right. The battle was over as, as soon as it started. David took that one smooth stone in that slingshot 
and it was placed perfectly where it went just where it needed to go on what little bit of Goliath's flesh was exposed from that helmet and sunk. It's a sunk into his forehead and it said he just fell with a mighty fall. God does the winning. Second Chronicles 20.15 says, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and, said, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And the giant that you face, whatever it is, the battle is not yours, it's, it's God's. And God demands the credit for it. Do something so big that if God isn't in it, you'll fail. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out and build a tower without first considering the cost, lest you get halfway finished and not be able to complete it and become a laughingstock. The Bible talks about that too. But do something bigger than you. Something that you can't possibly take the credit for. That was the whole, that was the whole purpose in, in, in the message of, of Gideon and his 300 men, is that he whittled that army down to just 300 so there would be no mistaking who the credit was to go to. What are you doing in your life that is so big that if God's not in it, it'll fail? Are you doing anything today for which only God can get the credit? I encourage you to step out, to go right up against whatever giant you're facing today, and to remember that it is God who gives the victories. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your amazing love. We thank you, God, for this true account of David and, and, God, how you were with him and how you gave the victory to him and to your people. And, God, how it didn't matter the size of the giant and it didn't matter how well prepared the giant was and it didn't matter about all of his armor and weaponry because the battle was yours and, God, you gave the victory. And, Lord, I know that in this room today, God, all of us have some sort of a giant that we're battling and God, some of us maybe have just come through a battle, and we rejoice over it. God, some of us are about to begin a battle we don't even know about yet. But God, whatever it is, I pray, God, that you would shine through all of it, that when we turn it over to you, God, you'll do what you do, and that you'll get all of the credit. And that, God, our faith, when tested, would only get stronger and stronger. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus, your son. It's in his name that we pray.